Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Second or First Kings. First Kings chapter 20. First Kings chapter 20. Now a while ago I, 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 I had a message and I kind of talked a little bit about this and I, uh, I, I was, you know, reading through and seeing some things here again. And, and, and I want to make sure that, um, and this was many, many years ago that I, that I talked about this subject. But I want to make sure that when we look at this, this passage of scripture, that we understand a few things. Many times we as Christians lack knowledge of who God is. This is why Paul specifically says we are to increase in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are to seek to know him as we see over there in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Because sometimes we have this idea and this thought and this mentality of who we think God is. And I've even preached a message about putting God in a box where we think that he's only allowed to do certain things and he's only allowed to do this and that according to our dictates and according to what we think. Now, obviously, we know that that is incorrect. But still, we operate in that mentality sometimes. And we can't do that. We can't do that. And I want us to see down here in in uh, this this passage in 1 Kings chapter 20. I'm going to take a look here at verse 28, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to start looking at some expounding of the Scriptures. In verse 28, it says, And there came a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord... Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for all this time and opportunity that we do have, Lord, to just get into your word. And Lord, while it may be a very simple message Sometimes the things that happen in our life are a little bit more complex or we think they're too complex. Lord, I pray that we would just have this mentality in our heart that we would seek to know you, that we would seek to understand who you are, and that, Lord, we would not try to limit or restrict you in any way, shape, or form in our thought and our deeds, but, Lord, that we would truly trust you, honor you, and glorify you with all that we do pray that this morning you would have free reign in our hearts to work, to 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 uh, just shape us into the vessels you desire us to be. Lord, to purge us from what needs to be purged. But again, Lord, to bring glory unto you in your name. I pray, Lord, that we would do that and we would please you with all that is said and done. And I ask this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in 1 Kings chapter 20, and if we know anything about this passage and about where this shows up, this shows up right around the time of Elijah. And this king that happens to be listed here is that King Ahab. And what is happening is the, the, the nation of Syria has now come up against the, the kingdom of Israel. Now again, remember the king, the, the, there was two kingdoms in Israel. There was the kingdom of Judah and then there was the kingdom of Israel. And the kingdom of Israel were ten tribes that rebelled and left and formed the kingdom of Israel with their capital in Samaria. The kingdom of Judah had their capital in Jerusalem and the two really often did not get along. They often fought them against each other and still had some issues even to the very end. And we see that very clearly the kingdom of Israel from the very first inception, it started out bad because Jeroboam comes in and what does he do? He doesn't want anybody to go to Jerusalem for fear he's going to lose his kingdom rather than trusting what God is doing. And he sets up two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Beersheba, to do what? He said, those are your gods, I want you to go worship there because it's too hard for you to go all the way down to Jerusalem. He sets up, if you will, a religion of convenience. A religion of convenience. And again, it's worshiping something that God told them not to worship. Something that, again, they found over there in uh, in the wilderness when they came right out of Egypt. They began worshiping those calves. And here we find that Jeroboam goes right back to that calf mentality, that cow mentality of worshiping those things, thinking that's where the strength lies. 
thinking that's where the strength lies. But what we find here with the nation, uh, with the kingdom of Israel, is we find that the kingdom of Israel has been fighting against idolatry and Baal worship uh, throughout this. We read a little bit about that this morning when Elijah was asking why there are standing halt between two opinions and basically said, you've got to make a choice. Either you're going to be for God or you're going to be for Baal. And, and here we find this situation where uh, in the very first uh, uh, verse of this chapter, we find that the nation or this kingdom, kingdom of Israel, is having some difficulties from an external influence, an external battle. And if you go to verse 1 here, it says, And Ben-Dad, the king of Syria, gathered together all his hosts, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, in the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Benadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to um, according to thy saying, I am thine in all that I have. What a cop-out. What just an absolute, I mean, he just rolled over and submitted to this external power coming in and saying, we're going to take everything that we want. Now, this had gone on previously. We find over there that it began with Asa. When Asa went over there and he made an alliance in, in, in chapter 15 and in verse 18, he goes over and he sends all these things and he says, I want to make an alliance with you, to with, with Benadad here. And the end result is that this continued on. And what happens is the Syrians kept coming back. And I'll tell you this, you make an alliance with sin, guess what's going to happen? It's going to keep coming back for more and more and more. Why? Because sin and evil and wickedness is never satiated. It's going to continually have dominion in your life. It's not just a one-time thing. It's going to continue to have an effect. This is why I said earlier uh, in Sunday school, sin has to be crushed by God. In our lives, and we see very clearly in the end, that's what will happen. But in our lives, it has to be dealt with very radically. Very radically. You even go over to the book of Matthew, and he talks about, if you will, what uh, we refer to in counseling as radical amputation. He says, if your hand offends, you cut it off. Your eye offends, you pluck it out. Now, how many of us, when we get to something with sin in our lives, are we willing to go that far? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's talking about, you know, something over there with the kingdom of heaven. And I just, okay, whatever. But the principle is there. Are you going to cut sin out of your life? Well, here we find this sin has just continued on. It went on from Asa, and it went on through uh, um, the the king after him, and then the the king after him, and the king after him. And and by the way, Asa was nowhere near close relationship to Ahab here. Because his father was Omri, and Omri took over from Zimri when Zimri got caught in a corner during a rebellion and burned his house down with him on inside and died. Committed suicide. Let the house on fire, and he died in the fire. So Omri became king, and now we have Ahab. And Omri was an evil king, and Ahab just followed right after his father. Now here comes the Syrians again, knocking at the door, saying with 32 other kings, and I will tell you this, anytime you let sin in once, it brings more friends. Now he's got 32 kings knocking at his door. 33 total. Not just Benadad, but 32 other kings. And here they are at his door, and they're saying, hey... Time, time, time to pay up. Time to pay up. And he goes and he sends messengers and so on and so forth. And and um, and uh, Benedict comes back and says, uh, "You know what? That's just not good enough, Ahab. 
Because what do we see here? He says here in verse 5, And the messengers came again and saith, Thus speak, uh, speaketh uh, Benadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy uh, gold and thy wives and thy children, yet will I send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thine servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant to thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. This guy's robbing him blind. And, and Ahab, Ahab was consenting to it initially. Now, now he's like, wait a second. You're going to send people to go rifle through my belongings? And whatever you think is, you know, whatever I look at and I think is nice, you're going to take it? Whether you like it or not? Well, I'll tell you, that's what sin does. Sin, sin, sin takes everything away from you. Sin takes everything of value away from you in your life. But here we find this situation. And, and what happens? Here we have Samaria, or, you know, uh, Samaria being besieged, the Syrians coming up against it. Uh, and we find here in verse 13 that as you know, Ahab has said, no, I'm not going to do this. He basically sets himself up for war. He sets himself up for war. I want you to see what happens here in verse 13. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? <laughs> I got to laugh at that. Here he is completely surrounded. And here comes here comes the prophet. And this isn't Elijah. Here comes this prophet walking up going, You notice that problem over there? <laughs> the one that's very apparent that's surrounding the city. You see all those guys out there with swords and shields and, and spears and, you know, get ready to come in here and, and take you out. You see that great multitude? And what does he say? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Now, this is interesting. God's going to give a blessing to Ahab. Ahab was, I mean, he was no, no good, dirty, rotten scoundrel. I mean, we, we go over there and we see what, what, what Jezebel did and, 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 uh, the reins that she had and so on and so forth. But here we find that God says, you know what? Ahab, I'm going to reveal to you, I am still God, whether you receive me or not. Whether you receive me or not. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to deliver all of these people into your hand and you will know that I'm God. Now that's an amazing thing to think about. And you go through and you, and you read this and it gets hilarious here. I can't help but laugh because again, I read it a certain way. And Ahab said, by whom? Then he said, thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. Then he said, who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. <laughs> You're going. Gear up, dude. Grow a backbone. <laughs> Go stand and fight. God's got this battle. God's got this battle. And we find in verse 20 what happens. And they slew everyone as man, and the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Benahad, king of Israel, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And what happens? There was a great slaughter that occurred with the Syrians. And here's Ahab, he comes back victorious. And he's like, wow, God did really do something. And it's amazing to see that. And again, we find that the prophet comes back and the prophet warns this time. In verse 22, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself, and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. He says, hey, he's not dead, he's coming back. Now again, I like to look at this as sin. You may have victory one time, but guess what? That same sin is going to come back, knocking at the door. And guess what? It's going to be even bring more. It's going to bring even more. And we find it, it's exactly what happens. <clears throat> Now, here's what happened. Interestingly, in verse 23, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, 
Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and we shall surely be stronger than they. So they step back and they say, well, let's reanalyze this, and we're going to take a year, because you know what? We were fighting in the hills. Man, that's a tough hills. And their gods are gods of the hills, so so our gods are the gods of the plains. We're going to go ahead and we're going to get victory in the plains. We're not going to fight them in the hills. And this is exactly what God was talking about in verse 28. When they said, God is God of the hills, but not God of the plains. They were limiting to where God can get victory. They were saying, well, God can only get victory up here on the hills, on the mountaintops. But when you're in the valley and when you're in the plains, God can't get victory there. So here we find this situation where they begin to boast, if you will, you know, kind of, if you will, make excuses for themselves. And the end result is in verse 27, what do we find? We find his mighty army comes up against them. And it says in, the, uh, in verse 26, and it came to pass at the return of a year that Benadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and all were present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched uh, before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. Again, God paints a very graphic picture. It says, they're weak, but all those Syrians were mighty and stronger than them. They filled the country, and here they are, just this small little group. Compared to everyone else, this was, this was going to be a battle that, that, that very certainly the Syrians thought they would win. They, they thought they were going to get victory. But again, we find that in verse 28 where here comes the man of God again. You know, it's interesting, this, this man of God is never even named. He just shows up. He just shows up. He's not seeking glory for himself. He's not seeking anything of that nature. Not saying Elijah was or anything like that. But here, here's this man of God. He just shows up and he's doing exactly what God told him to do. And he comes and he says, guess what's going to happen? Because of what the, 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 the heathen said, because of what the unbeliever said, guess what? Ahab, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you victory. Now, did, did Ahab strengthen himself? Not if he's coming to the point where he looks like two little flocks of kids against a mighty army. And God's going to give him a mighty victory. And God does. And God gives him a mighty victory. And we find in, 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 in verse 20 that they were, that they were getting destroyed. And it just continues to go on throughout all of this that they, that they were taken and, and the end result was They had victory over the Syrians again. Second time. You'd think that Ahab would get this idea. But look, all of that is background and context to what the issue is in verse 28. The issue in verse 28 is this, is it's the limiting of God. It's the limiting of God. You know, God is still the same God in the hills as he is in the valleys. And I, and I will tell you this, you know, sometimes we as Christians, we kind of get into this, this mindset. And this is exactly what the unbelievers do. We saw, see him there in verse 23 doing this. The unbelievers have a limited capacity to think of who God is, and they think that God is not powerful enough to do things. They think of it as some sort of ritualistic religion that doesn't really do anything. They have no relationship with God. So they look at things about going to church and they think about things about teaching morality and teaching against sin and and following the word of God and believing in Jesus Christ. They think all of that stuff laughable. They think it is foolishness, as scripture says. The preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. They look at it and they laugh and they think it's ridiculous. They think it's ridiculous. And again, I want you to, I want to point out these Syrians, they were not believing in God. 
They were believing in some fake God of the plains that was going to bring them victory. Some, some God of the valleys that was going to bring them victory. But, you know, here's the thing is, is they were limiting God to a geographical location, but God is not limited to that. God's never been limited. God is God. God is God. And, and, and this is what happens. They're excusing themselves from sin and judgment. They're saying, well, look, we got our hat handed to us the first time. Well, the second time, we're not going to do that. The second time, we're going to have, we're going to have victory over them. Because their God really isn't that powerful. And they begin to, they continue in sin. They come and they're boasting of themselves, saying they're going to have this. And, and, and you know what they're doing? They're denying who God is. And I will tell you this, this happens many times in the life of a believer. This happens in a life of a believer. I dare say that sometimes we get a Syrian mentality. Sometimes we get a Syrian mentality, and you know what? We, we, we kind of get a bit of a denial of the things of God. We don't often think of God as just. Why? I mean, even one of the psalmists goes over there, and he said he sees the prophet of all those that are unbelievers, and he's like, why, God, why? And sometimes we look at our lives and what do we see? We see something that somebody else has or we see a situation that somebody else is going through or we see what looks to be, a, you know, if you will, the Job mentality in our life of like, why are all these things happening to me? When I look at other believers and they're going through fine and nothing's, nothing's going wrong in their life. I dare say when we start comparing ourselves, we run into some major problems. We run into major problems. What God's doing in their life and the glory that they're receiving or that they're giving to God for what God is doing for them, you know what? You can do it and you can give the same thing in your trials and troubles. You're like, well, I'll give God glory if he gives me all what they have. Well, how do you know that? See, we get into this mentality of where we think that, that God's idol, or, or that, that God's just, you know, He's, He's only gonna help us so much. We get into this mentality that God's just not just, that He's not divine, that He's not holy. Now look, now that may be a bit of a shock when we sit there and think about it, who we are as Christians. Well, I trust you, Christ is my Lord and Savior. Yeah, but we still have this mentality that is Syrian and, if you will, sinful in nature where we limit who God is. We limit who God is. Now, now I, this is interesting. You, you look at verse 28 here, and it says, And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said. Because the Syrians have said. Now, why in the world would God even care? Look, if you're God, would you care what anybody said about you? I want you to think about that for a second. If you had the power to snuff somebody's life out like that, call fire and brimstone, look at an angel and say, go wipe them out. Would you really care what anybody said? But you know, here's the interesting thing. God does care. And he cares so much that it says that he takes every idle word into account. All the ones that we say in our heart, all the ones that we say in our head, and the ones that actually come out of our mouth. All of that being taken into account, I mean, you know, that's a horrible thing to think about. I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. We'll come back over there to the book of First Kings in a bit, but Psalm chapter 119, <clears throat> and, and, and what do we see here in verse 126? It says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Here, here the psalmist is looking at this, and he's saying, you know what, now's the time, now's the time, God. 
Now's the time to work. Now's the time to do something. Now's the time that, that something's going to happen because they take what you have done and what you have said and they disregard it and they make it void in their life and they, they just put it away and they make it worthless. And this is exactly what the Syrians were doing. And God says, you know what? Now, yeah, now is the time to work. I am going to come work. And he does. He comes and he works. And what does he begin to do? He begins to do something mighty in their life. Mighty in the life of the nation of Israel. But here he is, he's working against those that disparaged him. That disparaged him. Now, it doesn't hurt. You know, when somebody says something against us, sometimes we like to say it hurt our feelings. Let's, let's just be careful with that a little bit. Let's just be a little bit more honest with ourselves. It bruised your ego. It stepped on your toes of pride. That's, that's a little bit more. You used to say it hurt my feelings. Okay, look, <clears throat> I get it. Some people are going to say some offensive things. And a lot of things that are said offensive, you know, there's, there, there is the concept of turning the other cheek. I get that. But you know, here's God and God says, you know what? I don't like that. I don't, I don't like what they said. I don't like the fact that they said I can only save on the hills, but I can't save in the valley. I'm going to prove to them they're wrong. I'm going to prove to my people who have sincerely doubted me and have even worshiped other gods that they were wrong. I'm going to show them who I really am. And we see this. I mean, through all the scripture, there's many times where, 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 where God goes to work against those that are evil workers and, and we see it in chapter, in Psalm chapter 44 and Psalm chapter, uh, 73 and Psalm chapter, uh, uh, um, 35. All of the, there's different verses that are used there that we see the same concept that we find here in Psalm chapter 119. Where God looks at all these things and says, now, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin to work. I'm going to do this work now. Now, it's not that God has, has stopped working. It's just he's beginning that work, that specific work, against those evildoers at that time. He began to do that here at this point. He had already done something great for the nation of Israel. For the kingdom of Israel, he already gave him one victory. And now he's going to come and give him another. I mean, honestly, they really didn't deserve it. But God said, I'm going to still do it. I'm going to still do it. And I'll tell you this, you know, we get into this mindset where, where you know, this is what the unbeliever does. The unbeliever limits God. We as believers shouldn't do that. You know, the unbeliever is going to deny, just as 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 uh, some Christians do, they're going to deny the holiness of God. They're going to deny his justice. They're going to deny his divine nature. Uh, and, and yeah, God does care about what they say. But I will say this, believers should not limit the help of God that way. Believers should not limit the help of God that way. I mean, let, let's, think, let's think about this for a second. If God cares what the unregenerate say, sinful people what they what, what, what they say why would he not care what we say in our hearts about him and, and, I, and I dare say that that's what this passage is really pointing out I mean they had disregarded God They'd gone and said, God isn't good enough, so we're going to worship God and we're going to worship Baal. Hence, Elijah is saying, you got to make a choice. you got to pick one or the other. By the way, there was only one right choice in that. They were supposed to be serving God. And, and we see very clearly who was more powerful. 850 prophets of Baal died that day. That's a bad day for Baal. Yeah. Guess what? Baal didn't care. Why? Because he was a piece of stone. He didn't care. God cared. God, God brought fire down from heaven, burn up the sacrifice, burn up the water, burn up the stones, burn up everything. Boom, like that. 
the power of God. And what do we find here? We find the same group of people, these same individuals that saw a great miracle happen there, saw a great miracle now happen previously in the same chapter about where God gave them a victory. Uh, and, and now we're seeing that he's going to do it again. Look, these we as believers, we get into this concept of, uh, or this, this mindset where we're sitting there saying to ourselves, well, God can't help me with this situation. You know what? I need to help, I need to help myself. I need to fix it myself. I can handle this. I can take care of it. No, we can't. This is when we get into this mentality, and I dare say I've seen this many times in Christians' lives, and sometimes, you know, I've even seen it in my own life. And it's where we say, you know what? God is good. God is, and we'll all say and say amen, God is good, right? So let's think about this. Why do we say God is good when he's good to me? When I get the benefit. When I get the blessing. When I'm on the hilltop. When I'm on the mountaintop. God's good. You realize that even if you are at a point of where you are just blessed of God and, 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 and you just, I mean, just everything is going good, that when you go through those troubles, guess what? God is still the same God. Why do we not think that he can help us when we're in our valleys? When we're in the valley of the shadow of death? When we're in a valley of despair? When we're in a valley of trouble? When we're surrounded on the plains by an army that is ten to a hundred times bigger than us? And we just look at our life and we get... You ever have that happen? I've had it happen. I've had it happen to me personally. Where I just, you know, you, you, you start going through, you start doing the checklist. Man, well, 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 how many troubles do I have? Well, I got this trouble. I got that trouble. That one's coming. And right after that, there's this. Oh, that one's, I got that one going on too. Uh, I got that one. You know, we see, we, we, we go through all of those things. And we begin to realize and we look around us and we see, like the prophet saying, you see all that? You see all those people around you? God said he'll deliver you. We get into this mentality where we say that God is good only when he's good to me, but he's far from me when we're in the time of trouble. Look, if you're a saved, born-again child of God, I will tell you this. Jesus Christ is in you. I mean, he says, what, know you not, that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost that dwelleth in you? God is in you. You are in him. You can't get away from him, no matter what you do. No matter what you do, praise God for that. So let let me put it to you this way. The only way that we get into that mentality is because we deceive ourselves into thinking that God is far from us. We tell ourselves a lie that God is far from us when God is very near to us. When we begin to realize this concept, we can look at this and say, you know what? God is still God of the valleys. God's always been the God of the valleys. He's always been a God of the mountaintops too. He's He's God in my entire life, not just when I'm feeling good, but even when I'm feeling down. You know, we, we, we like to say, well, you know, God is good when I'm happy. But man, when we're going through depression... 
and we're scraping the bottom of the barrel just to kind of find any sort of remnant of our life where we think that maybe we can have a little bit of happiness somewhere, and we're scraping the scum. And we're, we're at the very bottom of it, and we think our life is ended, and everything is just horrible. You know what? God is still good then, too. But we're telling ourselves a lie that he isn't. You know that's a sinful mentality that the heathen believe? That's a sinful mentality the Syrians believed. And they paid for that thought process with their lives. They paid for it with their lives. Now, the amazing thing is, is that Ahab didn't even get that point, and I don't want to get into that afterwards. He didn't even get that point because he went out and made some stupid alliance afterwards and things like that. And, and the man of God is sitting there going, oh, good grief. He was supposed to be destroyed utterly, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Ahab didn't do it. Just like Saul didn't do it. Same mentality. And the man of God comes to him again and says, you messed up. You didn't get, you didn't take care of this problem. So guess what? This problem's going to come back. This problem's going to come back. You know what this really demonstrates in our life? And I will dare, dare say that this is a big problem with a lot of believers. Because I've experienced it in my life too. You know, it comes to a certain point in time where we have difficulty trusting God. We have difficulty trusting God. Again, we're, we're, we're going through the worst things in our lives, and, and, and what happens? We start trusting everything else. We're at the bottom of the barrel. What do we do? We trust psychology. We trust, trust psychiatry. We trust modern therapy and counseling. And you know what that does? That makes it worse. That makes it worse. This is our answer. This is our counsel. This is what we have in our life to guide us and to direct us. This right here. And I dare say that God is good because it tells us He's good. We just don't realize it and we don't trust Him because we haven't fully grasped the concept of who God is. That God is God regardless. Regardless of what trials we're in. Regardless of where we are in our lives. Whether we're on a mountaintop or whether we're in a valley. God is God. God is God. You know, uh, I, I look around right now and I see a lot of people freaking out. People are freaking out because of the you know, end times prophecy. And everybody's over there trying to fit Ukraine into the end times prophecy and scripture and, and Russia and everything else. And like, I'm just like, you know what, just, just, why don't you just pump the brakes on that a minute? Why don't you just trust God? Amen. The end times are going to be here. The end times, Paul was talking about the end times when he was around, and that was a few years ago. <laughs> the apostle John was talking about the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist was, was there already, and that was a few years ago. But everyone's going around looking for the Antichrist. Everyone's going around looking for some end time prophecy. And look, I know it's cool to see some of that stuff get fulfilled. But I'll tell you this, you know what is, what is really cool is when you trust God and you see Him work in your life. Is when you are in the valley and you say, God, I'm gonna trust you and He gives you victory. When you're on the mountaintop and God gives you victory. Here we are, and you know, people again freaking out in the end times and all this stuff. And and look, you know, we, we look at this world and we, we we look around and we go, you know, sin is just absolutely running rampant. This morning, I I, I mentioned something about that, the mentality of of of, of arguing with some of the, some of that that stuff and how stupid it is. 
How, how, how sinful it is to disregard everything that God has said in scripture and to just throw it out. And we look at this world and we say, man, sin is increasing and uh, sin's been, sin's been increasing for a while now. As a matter of fact, sin has been increasing since Genesis chapter three. And guess what? It's going to get worse. So the Lord comes back. And then still, even after the Lord's been ruling and reigning a thousand years, they're still going to try it again. Oh, we've got it so good. Let's go ahead and throw God off earth. What mentality? Because again, you know what? They don't think God is God. They don't think Jesus Christ is God. And that's that's the mentality that people have, and they run around and they get fearful and they get scared and they get into these 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 positions where again they begin to think that God is God of the hills, but He's not God of the valleys. No, God is God of the valleys. And in First Kings chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight, this is what the man of God comes and says: This is what God didn't like. He didn't like them saying that. He didn't like them saying that because the Syrians have said the Lord is is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. And why is that? He says, therefore, I will deliver up this great multitude in thy hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And I will tell you this, this is one of the greatest things that when we look at, when we start trusting God to deal with everything in our life, whether it's the hilltop or whether it's the valley, whether we're in the the good times or whether we're in the bad times, whether it's the best of times or the worst of times, to quote literature, you know what, regardless of that, when we get into this mindset, here it is for the purpose of demonstrating to you, the believer, that God is God. That He is the Lord. That you may know it. I mean, how many times have we gone through and thought about that just for a minute? Do you really know that He is the Lord? Do you know that he has control over all of it? Do you know that he can help you in every area of your life if you will just believe him and that he will? Why do we limit him? Oh God, you're only going to be my God when things are good. And sometimes we treat them like, again, like in case of emergency, break glass for God. Why is it that when we're in the deepest, darkest times of our life is the only time that we'll decide to open this book? Now, I'll tell you, it's good that you at least know that. But the book should have been open a long time before you were in that problem. A long time before you were in that trouble. A long time before anything where you ventured into that valley and got surrounded by a whole host of evilness. I want you to notice here in verse 28, he says, Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand. He was going to judge them. God was judging the Syrians. He was coming in and he was saying what they said should have never come out of their mouth. And because of that, they're going to have consequences. And the consequences are they are going to be destroyed. You know what they said was sin? What they said about God was sin. They paid for it, like I said, with their lives. We should never say anything like that about God. And when we do, you know what we need to do? We need to repent of it immediately. Because it's sin. It's sin to doubt who He is. It's a sin to not trust Him. It's a sin to go through our life and think God is only going to give us, God's only there for the blessings. 
that he's some sort of vending machine, like I say, that we can jiggle around and get our special bonus and prize. He's not that. He's not that. That's not who our God is. You know, we shouldn't doubt God's help. You know, when we doubt God's help, we're telling God, no, thank you. No, thank you. You know, when you sit down and you show somebody from the Word of God, here's how you get victory. Here, 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 here's the problem that we have in our hearts. You're going through and you read the Word of God and you study the Word of God and then God starts revealing some stuff to you and you begin to realize, man, I've got a lot of work i got to do in this life. I got, I got a lot of work to be somebody that pleases God all the time. Not just when I feel spiritual. <laughs> all the time. Not just when I think I'm right. We get into a sinful thought process. We get into a sinful behavior because we doubt God and we doubt His help and we doubt what He's going to do for us and all of these things. And, 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 and the end result is, is we doubt our Savior. I, I, I dare say that if I was to ask anybody in here right now, based off of what you have done in your past, can you ever make up for it? Somebody laughed. Because <laughs> they know it's asinine. They know it's absolutely ridiculous. You're sitting there going, Pfft. And look, some of us may actually say, well, hey, you know, we haven't always, you know, I haven't, I haven't done it that bad of a... <sighs> you don't know what sin is. You don't know how bad sin is. Look... I'll tell you this, the sin of somebody that's sitting there and, 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 and actually worshiping the devil is the same type of sin that is over here when we don't trust God and we doubt him and we say, God can't help me. There is no difference. There is no difference. So whether it is the unbeliever or the believer that says he's God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys, when we're going through our troubles, when we're going through our trials, when we're going through our difficult times, because that's the way we view it. We talk about this life is, is full of mountain peaks and valleys. You know, sometimes we're, you know, we're on fire for God and we're up there and we're high and we're just like, yeah, oh, this is awesome. And then we go through some troubles and we go through that valley and we're like, oh, it's getting dark. It's getting ugly. It's getting nasty. You know, God is still there. God is still there. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Who is with that? Who is with that sheep? The shepherd. Our Savior. Jesus Christ. Our God. Is with us. We've got to get into this mindset where we truly dispel that whole concept of limiting God. If you've got a problem in your life, God has an answer. You're like, well, he doesn't have an answer for everything in that book. Yeah, he does. Well, is he going to tell me which car to buy? Well, yeah. There you go. Amen. She's preaching. <laughs> what you can afford. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it'd be great. Oh, yeah, I want one. Of, I want one of those fancy cars and stuff like that. And then we're in debt up to our eyeballs. We can't do anything. We can't give to the Lord. We can't help other Christians out. We can't help anybody. We can't do things. God will help us. 
God will teach you. Well, what if I never have a new car? I have never had a new car in my entire life. My soul was used. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> but you, I mean, it had some mileage. <laughs> but you understand, I mean, we, we, we get into this concept, we start looking around what everyone else has and what everyone else thinks and what everyone, and, 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 and here's the nation of Israel completely surrounded and they're looking around and they see everyone in this country inside and it's all evil against them. And as it says there, uh, it said it looked at, uh, like uh, two little flocks of kids. Two little flocks of kids against this massive army. And God delivers. And, and I want to point this out. You know what? Here's the cool thing about this. You realize that sometimes you're going through a huge problem and a huge trial in your life. Did you know that you can take and your mindset and what you think and what you believe and what is affecting your heart can be changed by just a small little Bible verse? One verse, one verse. One verse, whosoever believeth, or whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One verse. What are we going to believe? So I want to ask you this morning, what do you think about God? Is God still your God when you're on the mountaintop? Is he still your God when you're going through the trials and the troubles in the, the valley? When you're surrounded by the enemy? When all hope seems lost? Is God still your God? Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that you've given to us. And I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to meditate on your word, to think on what you've given to us. And Lord, to very clearly see that we as believers shouldn't have that mentality that the world has, that the Syrians had, but that, Lord, we should clearly desire and want to know that you are God, that you are the Lord, regardless of where we are in our life, geographically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is. God, you're still my God on that mountaintop, and you're still my God when I'm in the valley. Lord, may we have that thought. May we carry that through. Lord, may we live it in our lives. May we declare it boldly in the gospel that you've given us. Lord, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for your word. May we think on these things. And I ask and I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.